whatever motivates you, I guess, utilize that in your savings goal as well. Have an accountability partner, whatever it takes. (laughs) Um, But I guess the hardest thing is getting that initial deposit and getting the foot in the door. Once you've got your foot in the door, it is so much easier. Last time we chatted, we talked about saving for a deposit and exactly what you need to get into the property market. This week, to keep you motivated, I'm going to chat to some really interesting people who found creative ways to enter the property market. Maybe you're not going to take the traditional path. In fact, you're probably not. Most of us have to do things differently. That's because many of us are paid on a casual basis. We're doing gig work. We're not in traditional nine to five jobs. That means saving a deposit and getting a loan can make things a challenge. Plus, we're not all getting married, settling down and having kids in our 20s. Of course, some people are, but lots of people aren't. There's more people who are entering the market solo, entering the market with friends, finding different ways to get their foot on the property ladder without giving up their lifestyle. First, I want to introduce you to Lyndall Murray. She is pretty incredible, really. She has been so motivated to find financial freedom after some experiences in her early childhood shaped the way that she looked at money. Before we kick off, I would like just to quickly pay my respects to the Bandjalung people of the Bandjalung Nation from where I'm talking to you from today. Um, yeah, it's important for me to connect with the country here that I've um, very, very fortunate to have a house on um, in Evanshead. So, um, yeah, great to be here. Tell me a little, Lyndall, about your uh, your journey to home ownership. Uh, you've been super driven. You've worked really hard. You saved a deposit on your own. Tell me why buying a house was so important to you. Oh, I think coming working in the corporate world for uh, at that point, probably 15 or so years, I was pretty well aware of the gender pay gap that existed in the industry that I was working in and how that transitions to put this perpetuating wealth gap uh, in retirement. Uh, so I was particularly aware of the fact that women are retiring with less than half the super of men. I was aware of the fact that I think 24% of women are in property by themselves, which is lagging behind men at about 27%. That's today's stats. And back then it was quite similar. Um, and I didn't want to fall on the wrong side of those statistics. So for me, it was a very data kind of driven um, decision at the time. Um, so that what come off the back of that, I guess, is like financial security for myself um, to, to create a home that I can come back to, which is not something I've had in my life. So it was kind of like a balance of data, future proofing my financial freedom, um, but also having that sense of home to come and go from when I should choose. So I think that was the key driver for me. Tell me a little bit about uh, how you ended up in uh, Evans Head in New South Wales, not too far from beautiful Byron Bay. I mean, beautiful part of the world, not a, not a difficult choice to make, but tell, tell me why you landed there. So I had an offer accepted on a beautiful cottage in Clunes uh, and a Sydney buyer came up on a, on a weekend before I put my deposit down on Monday, offered the seller cash and a 10-day settlement, which put me out of the running for the house. So when I walked into the real estate with my deposit on the Monday, they told me the unfortunate news that the house was no longer mine. <laughs> so that was further kicking the guts to what was already a really tough kind of journey. Um, but at, at the same time, everything happens for a reason. And that wasn't supposed to be the place for me. Um, then yeah, Evans Head, my partner and I at the time, um, expanded our search even further and what we could see, and which, which is a major, major driver for me personally to make the call to consider Evans, 
the road that was then being constructed between Byron and Yamba. So I thought anything along that coastline would hopefully have at least half of that growth, so 10 15%. So I thought it wasn't a winner based on this road going in. Uh, so, yeah, that was kind of why, why Evans. It wasn't necessarily a desirable location for me because I was leaving all my friends in Byron. They're kind of coastal but chic but um an entertainment lifestyle that, that does come with living up there to a real coastal country it was such a transformation the communities between byron and evans so yeah at the time it wasn't a destination thing it was a, a numbers thing it wasn't emotional it was about how do i get into the property market at a price that works for my budget but in a location where I'm going to have good future returns. I think I think that first that first property does unfortunately need to be more numbers than, you know, love at first sight. Um, and I know that when you found this place in in Evans Head, I know that you had the deposit and your partner, Jono at the time, was prepared to help you do some renovating work. What happened next? Yeah, so it was quite unconventional in a sense that we, I was purchasing the property independently and 100% funding the finances and we on this journey that had been quite a struggle. We had talked about the possibility of renovating a house together and what that would look like. So it was quite a um, long discussion because it had to be a benefit to him and it had to also be a benefit to me. Obviously, the benefit was far, like really strong for myself. But So what we kind of come up with was this idea that I would cover the rent on the studio we're living in Byron and cover our, our general living expenses. And in exchange, Jono would help me renovate the house. And so that was the deal that we struck. Um, and, you know, it turned out to be a long journey. It was harder than I ever imagined. It was more expensive than I ever imagined. <laughs> um, and, it, but, you know, at the same time, I, I learned a lot along the process. Um, unfortunately, the relationship didn't quite survive the renovation. <laughs> Um, but you know, we had agreed that what was his is his and what was mine was mine. And we had always had quite separate finances through the whole relationship, which I am grateful for now. And it's something I value highly. And it's something that I will take that kind of value into any future relationship that I do have. And yeah, on the back of the renovation, I've started a not-for-profit called Backyard Sessions. (laughs) Um, I've had a local school teacher and musician move into the spare room um, being a musician, going through COVID, he lost a lot of gigs. And when we did kind of try get the gigs back into venues, he was getting paid half of what they were paying him previously. And so we thought, oh, well, we can have 40 people in the backyard legally. Why don't we just sell or buy a donation, $20 tickets, fill the backyard with 40 people and put, in, put on a backyard set. <laughs> and so we did that and sold it out in a day. And then we had we could do 70 people. So then we up the next event, we did 70 people and sold it out within a couple of days. Uh, and then we had Kim Churchill contact us, who's a well-known folk artist from Australia, and he wanted to do a backyard sessions in Evans Edge. <laughs> so, so now I've turned my renovation into a live music destination in Evans. So we had 220 people um, at a sold-out event on 24th of July last month. Um, unfortunately not in my backyard because my backyard can't fit 220 people we had to move that one down to the river but um, yeah so it's interesting it's it's, Evans is well it started as a investment decision and a a renovation to make money in the property market it's kind of transitioned into this beautiful community that I've connected with and 
and you know I love live music and I'm kind of doing things I love and connecting great human people (laughs) it sounds absolutely idyllic and I think I think what's incredible about what you've managed to do is yes it was hard initially but now that you've completed the renovation you've got rooms you can generate passive income uh through those spare rooms and also through those backyard sessions like genius yeah that was just a bit of a I, but honestly, that idea came from having a couple of wines with some best mates of mine sitting around the kitchen table. It was not, it, that was not part of the plan. The plan was to rent the rooms out to reduce my cost of living. Um, like I've also got the studio self-contained that I was airbnb for quite some time, um, and I've got uh, someone renting that as well. So yeah, I'm I'm not paying a whole lot to on, on my own mortgage to live in my own house, which is quite an incredible position to be in at this point. Uh, from a financial perspective but at the same time I'm not charging market and this is probably not the right thing to do so I'm not uh, recommending if you're in a similar situation that you do this but I'm fortunately in a position at the moment where I can do this where I'm not charging market rates for the rent on my studio or my room because what I've recognized is people in this town are so hard up to find accommodation for one but I also want to help uh, Luke and Tilly who lives in the studio help them save a little bit more money so they can maybe break into the property market as well. I might not always be able to do that. My circumstances may change or I'll have to move into the studio myself and rent the main house out at a market rate rent. But at this point I can afford to help local people save a little bit extra money for a deposit to get into the property market themselves. So that's kind of my philosophy on it at the moment. What advice can you give to young women who are thinking, I just it's too hard. I can't do it. I'm on my own, never going to be able to save and buy property on my own. What can you tell these young women? Yeah, I've been thinking about this because I really take, um, this is probably the hardest question to answer in everything that we've covered so far, uh, because I'm so passionate about igniting the same drive in all women that you can do it by yourself. Um, it's hard. It's certainly not easy and it's getting harder as we speak. So my first piece of, and on, on thinking of it, the first thing I would say is start today. Every day you delay, it's, it's going to, it's going to, um, it's going to have a greater impact on, on how hard it is. So I think number one is start today. Um, number two is like think outside the box because at the moment we're seeing such such fast growth in areas across the country. Uh, you could argue there's a housing shortage really um, at the moment. So think outside the box on how you can get into the your first property. Uh, because interestingly, when I was going through that core logic um, gender property report from earlier in the year to this morning, actually, um, about forty eight percent of property ownership is is mixed gender male and female so you could argue that most likely they're in a in a relationship or or, or marriage so there's no reason why you can't start looking at getting into the property market with your sister or your best friend like there's some really deep conversations and some agreements that would have to happen but maybe not necessarily doing it by yourself is could is the right way but maybe you need to think outside how could you partner with somebody to get into the property market faster potentially um but yeah, start today is really important. Think outside the box. Never give up. <laughs> There's so many times I was ready to give up and walk away and go on a holiday. <laughs> and I, I don't think I went on a holiday for about five years. 
Um, so yeah, you do have to give up a lot in, but it is the pain is short term. When you're in it, you feel like it's never going to end. And I was still feeling that until about August last year. <laughs> um, so I've only just really turned this corner where it's been all pain, sweat and tears. And now I'm like, oh, okay. I've kind of found this easier street. I'm not sure what this feels like. Um, it's a quite a foreign concept to me. So yeah, when you're in it, you're in it and it hurts. Just break through the pain barrier because I can tell you when you get to the other side, it does feel incredibly empowering and it will just help set you up for life. And that's what I have definitely done here with my property. And if I can do it, I can tell you anybody can do it. Um, and, you know, just look for ways of, of um, accelerating your savings uh, growth, like your, your savings, whether you're doing second jobs or you do a side hustle with some online um retailing, uh, just look for ways that you've got your main income, but how can you add to that income to accelerate the growth of your, your savings as you, you're trying to power save towards that first property? Lyndall highlighted to me something that I have long believed, and that is regardless of your relationship status, you need to think about what your financial situation looks like on your own. It could be a really tough thing to think about. Nobody wants to think about a relationship ending or being in circumstances they never thought they'd find themselves in, but it's one worth confronting. Now I want to introduce you to Carl. He and his wife Rachel had an amazing idea to move an old house on a truck up a hill and onto a piece of land. I'll give you the hot tip. Things did not happen easily. Nice to be here and relive some of the... um past joys and, and battles with you today. So let's go back to um, the start. I know that you were selling an apartment in um, in St Kilda in Melbourne and you ended up uh, looking around the Gippsland area. What was the process in terms of, of looking for a piece of land? There's a, a play between Rachel and I. Rachel wanted to be um, near some bush and I needed to be near the surf, so we sort of wrestled with this tight um, proximity to the coast um but where we ended up down here there's not a lot of remnant forests so we ended up uh just falling in love with a block of land that was a little bit bigger than we anticipated um here it's kind of like either small lots in the town or big farm uh acreage so we ended up with the ladder and uh it was just because it had a lot of potential and um some beautiful views and we loved the area it was really close to everything that we were setting up in terms of our rates of shop and our office and uh, some family down here as well. So all those factors played in. And, yeah, look, it was just nice to get out. We'd had our first uh, daughter by then and we were just keen to make a change to the coast to get out of the city. We'd done our stint in there and felt like we were we were ready for some quiet and for some space. But tell me a little bit about uh, what happened once you purchased that land because I know that uh, you happened to find a house, stumble across a house. Do you want to tell me about that? Yeah, it was a it was an interesting process of back and forth. We originally loved the idea of trying to move an old house. We loved the old, uh, especially Victorian sort of style houses. And we hunted for a while online. It was really hard to find something of the age that we wanted that was firstly available, but then in good enough condition to move. Um, and we went back and forth and sort of missed out on one or two. And um, and then we heard of one that was available, which we discussed. Uh, we heard through the local house mover. Anyway, some negotiations went down, but we missed out on it, unfortunately, and we were really bummed. But we did see photos of it and we thought, oh, that was definitely the one. And about eight months later, I was driving down the peninsula and um, completely by chance on the way home from a wedding, 
uh, drove straight past the block that it had been moved to um, and it hadn't actually been put together or roofed. It still had the tarps over it and all of that and I just sort of did double take and a U-turn and went back and had a look and I thought, shit, that's the house. <laughs> and, uh, anyway, I followed it up and turned out that the people that ended up uh, pipping us <laughs> to post it in the first place uh, needed to get rid of it again because they ran into some issues. So it was sort of back up for sale. And second time we were lucky. Uh, so we got it back on a truck again. So this poor old house has been on a truck three times now because um, it was already moved out of Turak to a storage yard. And that's when we saw it. And then we missed out on it and then it got moved to another property. That's when I drove past it and saw it. And then we picked it up and moved it up our hill. So yeah, quite a process. Um, and in that time, we'd already sort of gone back to the drawing board and drawn up a new house that we were going to build from scratch and got the, got that through council. And then that was just before I drove past the house. <laughs> and we sort of flipped the whole plans on the head again. And I went back to council, changed everything once we got this house. And yeah, the rest is history, as they say. So how, how hard was it in terms of um, council approvals to get this sort of old house moved up a hill and and popped on your land is there is there anything that people know about doing that I mean does council just say yeah knock yourself out or what's the go (laughs) oh we it was reasonably straightforward we're lucky in Gippsland because of the unfortunate um, extensive clearing that we've had in the region um, you know 100 plus years ago Uh, we don't have a lot of bushfire overlays and risk and I think with moving houses uh, old timber houses bushfire overlays are the things that the issues that most people run into. So because we didn't have that, um, it wasn't too bad. We just had to consider a couple of other overlays in terms of siding of the house on the land. Um, but the process was was pretty straightforward, to be honest. Um, that was the approval process. I know a lot of people have had trouble trying to um, move old houses onto bush blocks and that sort of thing, just because you just it's really hard to comply with the current kind of bushfire regs with an old house. Um, so that part wasn't too bad. The moving it and getting it up the hill was probably more difficult. And I still just think it was the greatest spectacle ever that day. We had a, um, we had a 13 ton bulldozer pulling a massive truck towing the house <laughs> up the driveway because the, oh my God, the truck that couldn't is get up. Unbelievable. It's quite steep. I've got some spectacular photos of it and that was pretty exciting. They yeah, I think half. I might've seen some of them. Yeah, yeah, awesome. We should put a few on the wall at home now. Um, but we took, I took the day off work. I think that, yeah, they did the Thursday and then the Friday did one half each day and uh, we just kind of followed it on the road and it was quite funny and they just watched it get hauled up the hill. Um, yeah, it was an exciting day and it was the start of a massive process that was a bit bigger than we anticipated but um, just love it now. It's in a magical spot. kind of looks like it was... It was built there. It's a little bit like, you know, a lot of the old farmhouses around. Um, it's a little bit nicer having come from the city, which is which is nice. But, um, yeah, certainly had some challenges with regards to getting it onto the property. It nearly actually yeah. blew away the, the next night, which is another it story. Nearly, it nearly blew away. Yeah, we had a huge storm come through on the Friday night. Um, and the so it got dropped off in the two halves set on stands, um, not yet obviously stumped or stitched together or anything, and their front half blew into the back half and thankfully the back half caught it. So the front half moved about half a metre and was sort of like on the lean. 
and about, oh half, the, about half the stands had fallen out from under. So I put a panic call into the house movers on Sunday morning and they raced back up there and sorted it all out. So, yeah, we were lucky we didn't lose the whole thing off the hill. <laughs> would have been a bit of a disaster. That uh, would have been a strapped, disaster. Yeah, strapped down nice and solid now. There's a few chains under the house holding it down. <laughs> oh, is that right? Yeah, we did a bit of extra work there just, just to be sure, to be sure. So let's talk about that from uh, from getting the house onto the hill and securing it on the hill. What <laughs> happens then? It, I know it was a fixer-upper. It needed a lot of work. What was the process and what was the timeline between getting it getting it secure and moving in? Sure. Well, we hoped to do it in a year. We blew that out by nearly 300%. Um, the process, firstly, for us, because it was it sat in storage, we found out later, it sat in storage for about six years before um, so once it was moved out of Turek, it sat under tarps on stilts for six, six years. So there was some rot getting into bits and pieces of it. Um, so, yeah, it was a fixer-upper, had beautiful bones, but um, we put a lot of work into fixing up all of those issues um, that had been left in the weather. We also, because we moved it to a you know a reasonably bald hill on Bass Strait, it's, it cops wind and it, we really noticed um, – the house feeling it like in storms. I used to go up there and check different wind directions to see how it was holding up and, you know, walls would literally flex um, and I would run around sort of throwing studs in for bracing and bits and pieces to just make sure it would survive. So we put a lot of extra effort into, um, we basically lapped every single stud in the wall with an LVL or a hardwood stud. Um, so it's sort of like double framed and we de-weatherboarded the whole house and, wrap the whole house in bracing ply as well um then we it which was you know we wanted to insulate it and do everything properly anyway so some of those processes we were going to do but the added kind of structure and reinforcement there's a couple of steel columns just to kind of make the house sound in that environment that was a probably a bigger part than we anticipated we we lost three windows in the build due to the wind and the storms so they just got sucked out um so we sort of replaced with toughened glass and stuff like that on the exposed uh, sides. So, yeah, like with that beautiful view comes some pretty wild weather. Um, and then we lost the veranda blew over, so we had to glue that, fix that back together. <laughs> so we had a few challenges like that. Um, and then, look, I was really keen and Rach the same on restoring as much of the house as we could, and it had three chimneys in it originally, um, which in the old Victorian ways was a fireplace in every room, so the sort of um, back-to-back chimneys and the six fireplaces and I don't feel like those old houses look right without their chimneys and so that was a big thing and it was it was a big budget killer like it really cost a lot more than we thought it would but when you got half-built chimneys you can't really stop so we just had to chip away at that that blew us out a bit time and budget wise um but we got there and we've got you know beautiful chimneys that match the house and you know look like they're supposed to be there and they probably actually help hold the house on the hill as well it's a bit of extra weight and reinforcement there um so i guess your question about time like it took us nearly three years i guess i mean obviously you had all of those unexpected expenses had you broadly budgeted for them considering the fact that you were um i guess getting getting a house like for memory you paid forty thousand dollars for it provided you could move it so did, did you then have a budget that allowed you to cover all of these costs or was it was it not quite like that yeah we did so we had just sold our apartment in Elwood um to to purchase the land and um 
we just got as big a mortgage as we could on the land and put the deposit in we had to so we could keep the rest of the money for the house. So, yeah, we did have a we, – we didn't have a budget, but we had, a, 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 <laughs> I guess, a, a pile of um, leftover money that we were intending to put to the house. But, I, you know, we never really capped it and didn't really understand exactly how much it was going to cost. It was just going to be one of those things we started. We committed to starting it and restoring the house. Uh, we were renting a place in um, – near where we work on the coast. So we were like, well, we can afford to rent and chip away. And we just sort of started the process. And it's funny, we we probably did intend to do it a bit quicker and a bit um, bit more on the cheap, I guess. But as we got into it, we really wanted to do it properly. Um, my work was going pretty well, so I figured we may as well just take the time and, and um, if it takes a bit of extra time to do it properly. Tell me about the lifestyle that you afford. I know that um, Rach runs your um, produce store and cafe, Udder and Ho. You're a you're a landscape architect, um, you've got a couple of kids. Is it the lifestyle that you envisioned? Um, yeah, it is. Look, we're just starting to really settle into it now. It's nice. Like it was a it was a pretty full-on few years to get it done because um, Rach, as you said, she was sort of in the process of setting up her business and mine was growing a fair bit and we had two young girls who were trying to do the build. And we didn't have a lot of time to enjoy the place, but now having been there for six months, um starting to settle in we're starting to do the garden we're starting to enjoy the land a bit more starting to plan out um you know our garden and that sort of thing and that's a big motivation is to live a lot off the land so we're we're pretty self-sufficient up there at the moment um in terms of how we live but from a food point of view we want to add that as well so we we catch all our own power our own water treat our own sewer like so we're completely off the grid and um yeah, I guess the lifestyle that we want really is just to try and um, amplify that as much as possible and bring it to the food side of things as well. So, um, yeah, we've got a lot of space, so we're really fortunate um, and we plan to really, really build that up with big orchard plantings, big gardens. We've got a small paddock for some sheep and some other other animals that I'm sure will come in time. Um, but, yeah, live simply, uh, regenerate the property and... Um, really just try to use it as a bit of a sanctuary and escape from um, what is a pretty hectic, crazy life when we leave the property. So it's a, it is a bit of a sanctuary for us. Can you just wrap up perhaps for people who are considering um, moving a house on a truck? I mean, there are companies out there that specialise in, in moving heritage homes um, to more affordable land. Can you mm. give people any guidance if they're considering doing the same, any things that you wish you'd known first? there's I guess there's a level of to what you want to restore it to I think is important like for us it was really important to um to honor the house and the the period it came from and and redo it properly so you know all of the all the finishings and the details we wanted it to be done right and these days I guess it's just important to note that a lot of that stuff is more expensive than conventional building practices so I think for what you put in you know you make up for it for the fact that you've got this house for we actually got it for thirty thousand dollars um on the back of a truck, which which is uh, pretty amazing. And then um, the cost to move it was much the same, I think. Yeah, a little bit more, but I think it's a beautiful thing to do. I think it's a great way to preserve some of that historic architecture as well, rather than see a lot of it get um, knocked over. So I did definitely encourage people to do it. I absolutely love Rachel and Carl's story. I love that they could find a house for $30,000 on the side of a road and drive it up a hill and turn it into the glorious thing that it is today. It's pretty extreme, 
But it does show you that if you prepare to be creative, you can potentially build a pretty attractive home on a budget. Next time we get into the age-old intergenerational housing debate, I want to introduce you to a baby boomer who can offer some very interesting views on the housing affordability crisis and a member of parliament who can offer up perhaps an alternative solution. We'll also talk about whether the bank of mum and dad is fair game or whether everyone should be doing it on their own. The information in this podcast is provided for entertainment and educational purposes only. It is general in nature and does not apply specifically to your circumstances. If you're considering purchasing property, it's always best to speak to a licensed financial professional before making any decisions related to your goals.